Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, where we explore how to make space for everyone in the yoga community. This podcast is brought to you by the Accessible Yoga Association, a nonprofit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. Hi, I'm your host, Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of Accessible Yoga. And I'm your co-host, Amber Carnes. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Board of Directors. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, it's Jeevana, and I'm so excited to have a special guest here for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I have Shannon Crow. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Jeevana. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> Usually you're interviewing me on your podcast. And I'm That's so right. Good. That's right. So now it's my turn. Okay. Um, all right. So I want to introduce you. Let's see. Shannon Crow is a host of the Connected Yoga Teacher podcast. And I would just say um, you run the Accessible Yoga I'm, I'm successful. Oh my God. The Connected <laughs> Yoga Teacher Facebook group, which is very similar to our Accessible Yoga community. And I love that connection that we share. Um, but you basically focus also on pelvic health and you're the founder of Pelvic Health Professionals. Is that right? That's right. Um, and I would just say generally that you're dedicated to helping yoga teachers find their way, find their niche and focus on building community. And I, I just love that about you. I love the work that you do connecting teachers with each other and supporting them. And it's very inspiring to me. So thank you for that. And thank you for being here. Thank you. I feel like your work has really inspired me. I, I was just thinking back, um, knowing that we were going to talk today, I was thinking back to when we met at the Accessible Yoga Conference in Toronto way back. Mm. Uh, and I just appreciate how much I felt welcome and part of the community, even though I was meeting all new people. And, and mm. um, I, I don't know, I don't know all the details of like how you put that together, but uh, I'm here for it. I'm here to learn. And I learn a mm. lot from you um, from being part of your community. So thank you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Likewise, I, I learn a lot from you. And I, I think we both share that same passion, um, community building and connecting yoga teachers with each other and supporting them. So that's what I love about our friendship and, and the way that, you know, you support me like outside of this work, you know, just like on our side chats, um, you know, when challenges come up and new ideas arise. So it's just, it's great to have you as a friend and a peer. So and thank you for being here. But let's talk more about your work. So I didn't, that bio is pretty short. So can you tell us a little more about yourself and maybe introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, well, I, I live in Canada. Um, I, I'm, I'm really starting to dive into like, I live on Odawa, Mississauga and Anishinaabek land. And I, I'm trying to figure out what that means. Uh, living here with all of my ancestors being um, not indigenous here in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I'm also trying to figure out things about yoga and how yoga was taken from a culture. So I'm trying to figure out a lot of things as a yoga teacher along the way, as well as, like you said, I love to connect yoga teachers to each other or to information. Um, and my specialty became over the years pelvic health and 
I had three babies. I studied anatomy in college. I taught prenatal yoga teach, teacher trainings. I, I specialized in pre and postnatal and baby and me yoga. And I feel like all along that journey, nobody was telling me much about my pelvis or my pelvic floor or the way the pelvis worked. And, and that's when I became really fascinated with it. Like, why aren't we talking about this? Why are we skipping over it? And even, you know, doctors, midwives, uh, physios, gynecologists even tell me that they also felt like their education was lacking. And I think, what? Those are the people who really specialize in, in pelvic health. And the more I learned about pelvic health, the more I learned that it really um, ties in well with yoga in so many ways. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I just want to say, I'm just going back to your first um, comment about how you're learning more about um, appropriation and yoga and also around the indigenous land that you live on. And I, I've just... I love that about you, that just your openness to learning and to your, um, what is it, learning in public. You know, I think that's such an important quality in, in a leader like you, actually. And I see you, I see that leadership in, in the work you do, your, your willingness to admit when you don't know something or when you make a mistake or when you're confused and then kind of open yourself up to input from your community. And I, I love that. So thank you for that. But I, I do want to focus on the public health piece today. Um, I just want to say one thing, Juvena, is that I also do mess up and, and behind (laughs) the scenes, I have like, I have not been as open to learning at different times. And yes, then I want to bring it onto the podcast. So like when I have that light bulb moment of like, oh, wow, I really shut down and I didn't learn. So thank you for pointing out that I, I am learning in public. I do welcome feedback and I'm also doing it in a really messy way at times. And I appreciate friends like you who are like, yes, and Shannon, like, yes, and there's this perspective, or have you thought about it this way? So I think it takes a community of people who are willing to both like speak up and share something, but also to listen. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, and it's yeah. messy. <laughs> it's messy, but I feel like you're willing to be in the mess. And that's how we're going to move forward. You know, like it's, it's only in learning and growing um, that we will ever change and evolve as a yoga community into mm-hmm. something that truly embodies the yoga teachings. And I feel like that's the goal for me is like to ha- actually to teach and practice in a way that is respectful to this tradition. And I, I think to do that, we have to be, yeah, willing to be in the mess like you are. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. So, but let's talk about the public health piece. One, one thing that just occurred to me is like you mentioned medical professionals who don't have a lot of training around pelvic health. And I just wondered how, like I see your pelvic health professionals is beyond yoga that you're inviting. It's kind of a multi multidisciplinary group that you invite medical people in and PTs and stuff. Is that intimidating for you? Because you're not a medical trained person. Is that right? I mean, you studied anatomy, but is it intimidating as a yoga teacher to lead a group like that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I don't have to be the expert. So what was happening behind the scenes years ago when I started to specialize in pelvic health, which I just, I I followed an interest and a passion. And then people started to notice that's how that happened, Mm -hmm. uh, is 
Along the way, I really thought for a while, should I become a pelvic health PT? Because I really do see the benefits of like having that education. But then when I started working with PTs, I realized, oh, there's a real missing piece with all of the benefits of yoga. And I'd rather share that. So I can continue to do that. But what I was also doing was hiring pelvic health experts from around the world for like one-on-one Zoom calls with me, where I would ask so many questions and then bring that to yoga teachers I was teaching, but also to my one-on-one sessions that I was doing with people in the PT office. And, And then I thought, why don't we do this? on a bigger scale. So I don't have to be the expert. I think that's that's the biggest thing. It's a community of pelvic health experts. I definitely learn from all of them. Uh, and we hire them and then our members get to ask the questions. We organize the questions, we organize the guests, we write the notes, we have, you know, we do all that stuff behind the scenes. So it takes the pressure off. And <laughs> I still have times where I'm like, how can we how can we attract more pelvic health experts? Like how can mm-hmm. we get those leading experts to think, oh, I want to join this community? And so you know what? I dip in and out of like, oh, I I know so much about pelvic health to thinking, oh my gosh, I know nothing. Like, you know, we have a couple of calls coming up on endometriosis, and I feel like I, I barely know enough about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also have like one burning question, not a question, but like a comment about this, which is like, as a man, like I'm cisgender man, which means I was born male and that's a gender I still identify with. You know, it's hard, it's hard for me to connect so much to pelvic health. I just feel like it, I don't know. I'm just curious about that. Like the gender issue in pelvic health. And if you see that as part of the reason why. Um, maybe there's less information around it, you know, because, because generally medicine focuses on male bodies. Um, I just want to talk about that gender, the issue of gender in this field. For sure. And, and the, it's interesting that you feel that way and you're not alone in that. Like most people, if I say I teach yoga for pelvic health, they automatically assume that I'm working with, um, cisgender female people who are pregnant or giving birth or, or having pelvic health issues. And that that's the weirdest, it's the weirdest thing that that's what we assume. And I, I want to say like, we all do that because that's how we were raised, but every single human is walking around with a pelvis, with a pelvic floor. I've, I've had people tell me, well, I don't, that doesn't pertain to me because I'm a cisgender male. And mm-hmm. so therefore I don't have a pelvic floor. And I'm like, yeah, you do. <laughs> you totally do. And isn't it amazing then that we don't know that we have a pelvic floor? We don't, we, lots mm-hmm. of people don't even know where it is. Yeah. Well, right. So that's what I'm wondering is like, how do you, I don't know. I'm just curious, like, how, what do you say then? Right. Do you just say so, you have one? <laughs> you have a pelvic floor. You need to figure out where it is and connect with it. When I do pelvic health workshops, the majority of the time it is, you know, if I look around the room and I do a quick scan, I, I really try and take my gendered language out of pelvic health now because it doesn't actually matter. But if I look around, I'm, I might just assume, okay, most people in this room are 
cisgender females um, because of mm-hmm. that. But I do want to say, I think it's really important that we start to talk about pelvic health and take out the gendered language, which I started to do a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even saying like, this is a female pelvis versus a male pelvis. I think that we miss we know that biologically we don't just get divided into two categories and we know that what does that have to do? If you and I both have a pelvis and we have a pelvic floor, our organs might be in a different configuration, but overall pelvic health, you and I um, could benefit from the same information and, and, and that's the biggest thing, like having that awareness, having learning about pelvic health, the biggest thing that I hear from people in workshops is, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah. And and I think we skip over the pelvis because we were taught, like, don't talk about your private areas. There's a lot mm-hmm. of shame around the pelvis. Yeah. 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 Well, and just for me, I think just part of that is the frustration I have with the kind of gender assumptions that happen in a lot of yoga spaces that people assume that yoga, that contemporary practice is mostly for women and that, that that's the audience. And so I'm in a lot of yoga spaces where people, well, like even yoga groups on Facebook, I've noticed recently where people start posts like, Hey ladies. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. And yeah. I'm like, are you, are you kidding? I'm like, are you joking with that? Like, <laughs> 2022 you're writing on a public facebook group with thousands of people and you write hey ladies like yeah. what do you I, I mean there's so many problems with that like i don't even know where to start but um and i think it happens in yoga classes as well and so i i feel like i have this kind of already like a frustration about that and so it's like i think it's important i, I love what you're saying i think it's important to just kind of dismantle this whole area like this whole like b- belief in yoga having a gender and also pelvic health having a gender that just seems so well our whole all of our notions of gender are really messed up too just like as a binary <laughs> and instead of you know as a spectrum yes um, yeah so anyway thank you for letting me share that <laughs> It's so true. Uh, I We've also had posts like that in the Connected Yoga Teacher group where it's like, hey, ladies, and we write to that poster saying like, hey, just so you know, uh, we are like, we have all various genders in our in our Facebook group. So this excludes some people and we want it to be inclusive. Like we write a nice note back. Uh, so yeah. And if people are listening to this and they're thinking, well, there are just two genders, you know what, learn some more. Like this is where I was learning uh, and thinking, oh my gosh, I had no idea about gender. Um, No idea really compared to the information that's out there now. Um, And, and so we dug in inside of pelvic health professionals, you know, we did a transgender competency training, but that, that exploded into way more learning um, if you think about it, just think for a moment how our pelvis is. And I, you know, do this visualization, your, your pelvic floor makes like a diamond shape. So at the very front, it attaches to your pubic bone. And at the very back, it attaches to your tailbone and at the sides, it attaches to your sits bones or your ischial tuberosities. And 
It's doing a lot of things like the pelvic floor is doing a ton of things. But one thing we do know is that it supports your organs. And most people have a bladder and a rectum, not all people. And some people have a uterus. And then, and some people have like that organ that is the uterus. If you imagine, if you just <laughs> turned it inside out, not for uterus owners, but for penis owners, it's like, that's the sexual organ, but it's just shaped in a different way. It's, it's mm -hmm. really gender does not come into it unless your specialty is like, we just had uh, someone come into pelvic health professionals and talk about uh, gender affirming surgery. So then there are, there are a lot of things that go along with that, that, that might be more specific to gender, but really, you know, what would it be like if all yoga teachers looked at, could I take my gendered language out of my yoga classes? I, I think that's a huge gift because we can't assume people's gender just by looking at them. No. And, yeah. and we shouldn't. I mean, it's offensive to do so. It and, is. And actually, it's, it creates, basically, it creates an exclusive community when you do that. You basically are telling people that they're not welcome if, if you do that. So I exactly. just think it's, it's actually incredibly damaging and hurtful. And so even if, even if you do it, like unconsciously, you think, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. It doesn't matter. You know, you need to actually we all need to be more conscious with our words, especially if you're in, in the position of teacher or any kind of authority. And I, you know, I make mistakes too, but I think I need to, I, I'm happy to hear back about those mistakes. And I do get to hear back about them all the time. <laughs> you know, like when you have a podcast or like teach publicly, you know, people are always happy to tell you what you're doing wrong. But I'm just saying, I totally want to echo what you said about yoga teachers not using gendered language. And you can't tell by looking at people what gender there are. And also, there is so many variations there. I, I like what you were saying about the anatomy. Like, there's intersex people and trans people. Like, there's just so many variations. Um, yeah, there's people who have two uteruses. Right. right. Like, it's it's really no one's business right. at all what what your anatomy is like, unless you decide to share with them. But as yoga teachers, it is very much our business to, to know how does the bladder work? How does the rectum work? How does the pelvic floor work? Especially, like you said, we could be causing harm. And that's, I mean, we can be causing harm with our gendered language. We can also be causing harm when we say, make sure you do your Kegels on the way home or mm -hmm. make sure to, <laughs> and I hear, I hear harmful uh, cues happen in movement classes and yoga classes. And it's a pet peeve of mine. And I have a, a question for you around that, like around trauma informed teaching and anatom anatomical terms. So like, I, I think it's always, there's always like a paradox in these things to me. Like there's always like an edge there. And I feel like on the one hand, being neutral and talking about anatomy is and educating people around things, um, around their anatomy is really useful as a yoga teacher. But at the same time, some terms are triggering to people. And, you know, I think I personally just avoid, part of why I avoid some language around like sexual organs and stuff like that is that it can be triggering to people who have 
Well, for any reason, right? 100%. So. Yes. And, and I, you know, I have to say that I come from this probably biased place of teaching one-on-one. -on -one. So mm -hmm. I go with that one person and what language they use. You know, if someone started to ask me questions and it had a more anatomical language mm -hmm. to it, I would echo that back to that person. Uh, and you get to know people, but in a group class, that's a very good point. You know, yeah. is it is it serving? And I, I teach more yoga teachers around anatomy and pelvic health. So I would definitely use anatomical terms but even like any of it, any of the language that we're going to use with yoga students, it has to be a conversation, you know. Um, for example, you introduced me to Jacoby Ballard and we did an interview about trans pregnancy and pregnancy was one word that Jacoby said, I, I, this isn't, I don't like this word. Like I want it to be something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so I, I think the language we have to we have to consider the person that we're working with, or if we have a group, establish those like kind of you know a group group communication rules or outline or something. Or, right, I or, think I think we have to be more more general and more careful in groups. Like I think we can't. It's different one on one where there's a chance to get feedback directly from somebody. I agree. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, but yeah, public classes, I do think have a different set of rules. Um, and generally we have to be a lot more cautious with our language and, um, err on, err on the side, I think of being careful. We'll be right back to this episode after a quick message from one of our supporting organizations, Present Moment Media. Present Moment Media is a digital marketing agency focused on uplifting the voices of changemakers across the globe. Their agency offers social media management, web design and development, digital advertising, online course creation, and more for holistic and inspirational professionals. CEO and founder Sumaya K. Owens is a queer unschooling parent, yoga teacher, Ayurvedic health coach, social justice organizer, and holistic business and marketing consultant. They serve on the board for nonprofits and volunteer with grassroots organizations around the world to promote free, accessible, and trauma-informed yoga and wellness programs for immigrant and refugee families. You can support Present Moment Media by joining The Lounge, a digital wellness community for changemakers. Access to The Lounge includes weekly wellness classes, access to all of our online courses, and live business coaching sessions with Sumaya and the rest of the team at Present Moment Media. Learn more and join the community at www.presentmomentmedia.org. Anyway, so, but, but maybe we need to be more specific here. Like what, could you talk about some sp specific things that yoga teachers could be saying and helping yoga students understand about pelvic health within the context of a yoga class? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, all yoga teachers, anyone holding space and um, creating that space where people 
get to know their themselves better um, is helping with like overall our health and well-being as a human, especially our pelvic health. That's what I started to realize. Okay, when we have movement and breath and we really build that awareness, these are all things that can really help someone who's dealing with pelvic health issues or help to prevent pelvic health issues. So I, I just want to say that first, that that's where I started to see this tie in. And then also a lot of our yoga students are dealing with pelvic health issues and they're not talking about it. So they might be peeing their pants. They might be like 50% of people who give birth have some degree of pelvic organ prolapse. Uh, that's, that's really high. You know, if we, if we have a class of postnatal people, um, you know, 50% of them there are, are dealing with Ooh. some degree of pelvic organ prolapse. And we, as yeah. yoga teachers, we need to know, we need to know what that is and we need to know what to cue people to look for if they are dealing with pelvic organ prolapse. Like I had one student come to me and say, you know, I was doing boat pose and, uh, I could really feel the pressure of my pelvic floor pushing down and mm. um, I feel like it's not good. I feel, you know, what are some alternatives? And this wasn't in one of my classes. This was in another yoga class. But um, yeah, we need to know, like, for example, for that one, I kind of go on four principles. One, do you like doing the pose? Because I don't love boat pose at all. <laughs> Yeah. So it wouldn't be my choice of like, here's how I want to build strength. Mm -hmm. um, or I might, I might change boat pose from what, a, from what someone's doing. So that's the first one is like, do I like it? Am I able to continuously breathe in this pose? And this is if you're dealing with pelvic organ prolapse or diastasis recti. I know I'm kind of throwing things out here, but um, these are, those are two of them. And then we look for along the linea alba, is there doming? Like, is that line along the belly button? Is it sticking out or is it going in? And the last one, do we feel like a downward pressure on the pelvic floor or like kind of that, are we bearing down mm -hmm. too much on that pelvic floor? And those are, those are four easy things to check in when you're doing movement of any kind. Um, and on a personal, sorry, you were going to say something. Well, I'm going to ask you something just, yeah. you, you said, okay, 50% of people have um, some kind of prolapse. Is that right? Is that what you said? After, if they have given birth. If they've given birth. So I would just say like, it's interesting to me when you hear about a number like that, because I, one of the things that I'm, I struggle with personally is that when I'm teaching accessible yoga and I'm trying to train teachers um, around contraindications, you know, like something not to do. I, I feel like there's this pushback in the community around, you know, like, what is it called? You know, like negative connotations or like creating a nocebo effect, you know, nocebo effect, like how the idea is mm -hmm. if you put this like negative idea into someone's mind, they might actually start to have that negative experience. And so there's some, there's some reaction. I think it's kind of reactionary, um, things happening in the community that I see around, like, don't be negative about it. Like all bodies can move. For example, like in my world, it's more like spinal flexion, you know, like forward bending and how there's, yes. there's kind of a, 
there were some cautions that came out around forward bending. And then there was this pushback and saying like all spinal movement is good and we shouldn't be afraid and we shouldn't scare our students about these things. But I feel like the kind of not, like what you just said, 50% of people who've given birth have um, some kind of prolapse. That's huge. And that means like a large portion of your students have had that. And I would say same around spinal flexion. Like for me, there's figures that state that 50% of seniors have some kind of a back concern or pain, like half, like half of seniors have some back issue. Yeah. And, and a larger number, a larger percentage have osteoporosis. So it's like, you know, to say that flexion is fine and safe and we shouldn't be afraid of it isn't true, actually, because it's it might be true if you're a young, thin, um, flexible person. But if you're like teaching a class where you have like regular people in there, especially older people, or in your case, people who have given birth, um, it feels fair to make those kind of, to share those concerns. Do you know what I'm saying? To be conscious and teach with those contraindications in mind. Um, do you know what I'm getting at? Yes. I, this is so good. And I think that you're like, I definitely see how language can, can build fear. Like I've, I worked yeah. with one person who had pelvic organ prolapse and their gynecologist told them, whatever you do, don't lift your head up when you're trying to get up out of bed. And I mm -hmm. think that is just fear-based, uh, unnecessary language that isn't helpful. Like it's very hard to get out of bed without lifting your head off the bed. <laughs> and and what would be more helpful is to kind of have this checklist of like, okay, are these things happening? That's why I like it. Like, do I like this movement? Well, I like to get out of bed. So yeah. <laughs> do, can I breathe while I'm doing this? Cause we uh -huh. can effort on the exhale and make a big difference. Uh, is there any doming or invagination at that linea alba? And then do I feel a bearing down pressure on the pelvic floor? And, and then you would know, okay, if I do, if I have some of these things, I'm going to go see a pelvic health PT because they specialize in this, just like our dentist specializes in, in dental work. So I, I'm all for let's move, let's not be afraid to move and let's figure out what's going on so that, you know, you're not just coming into boat pose with a pelvic organ prolapse and really like possibly making it worse that I don't want to, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be making something worse. Mm -hmm. And it, I'll use myself as an example. So I used to work um, in yoga teacher trainings and I was the demo person for so mm -hmm. many poses. So if anyone's ever been that demo person in, a, I'm going to say more traditional or more westernized yoga teacher training, I don't know mm -hmm. what I'm going to call it. Uh, <laughs> You might be holding plank pose for a really long time in the center of a room or uh, something like that. And what I didn't know is that at the time I had diastasis recti after mm. having three babies. Which is what? Can you define that? Yeah. And it's really interesting. You asked, like, how would I define it? So there's there was a change in the tissue at my linea alba. So it's normal in pregnancy for that tissue to change. That allows our body to stretch and you know, make room for baby, but I was having, I was having low back pain. So I didn't even associate it with diastasis recti. I didn't even know what that was. And it was 
when I went to see a public health PT and was diagnosed with it. And then I went online and I Googled it and I got like this big list of don't do this pose. This pose will make it worse. Never do crunches, never do mm. planks, you know, all of this information. And also then it was like, don't do table pose. I'm thinking what? Or do table pose because that'll fix it. And I mm. ended up being very confused it took a lot of years of like digging through information and connecting with pelvic health experts. New studies came out about diastasis recti. Hmm. Uh, studies with experts who specifically work with this. We we did a podcast episode on it with Dr. Sinead DeFore. Um, and, and a lot of it was like, yeah, you can still move, but here are the things to look for. You know, here, that's what I needed. I didn't, I did need to back off on doing those plank poses for a while and figure out how to come back to those if I wanted to, you know, how to continuous breath, um, building up to it, checking like for that pressure at the linea alba or down on the pelvic floor. So, yeah. Okay. That's helpful. I mean, I think, I think what you're describing is like, the perfect like result of that, which is that you might hear an instruction that either feels like, wait, this might apply to me, or someone tells you like a contraindication and you think, oh wait, should I not be doing something? But your personal experience might feel different. And then you have to like kind of like work it out in your own practice and come to some understanding. But I think that's, we can help students to avoid some of that by just being clear in our language. We could say things like, um, you know, if you have organ prolapse, this could be challenging, right? Is that what you would say? Like I would say with spinal flexion, like if you have any back pain, be really cautious with the spinal flexion, you know, right. like that, be conscious about that. I mean, um, I'm in a really unique place because I talk about pelvic health all the time. So I feel like I, we go through this, like, here's what's happening with your breath. Here's what happened. You know, here's how the pelvic floor is naturally moving. And when we have this information and when we offer that to students, they can then make so many um, decisions. And this is reminding me, you and Amber did an amazing podcast. Uh, I forget which episode it was, but it was like May, the last one that you did on community. Mm. And I listened to it this week and I was thinking, yes, yes. Like this idea that we are not the expert in this person's body, just because we learn more about public health, the more we, we take that information, we pass it over to our students. And then that really empowers them to make those decisions and, you know, build their healthcare team and, uh, and also really listen to their own body and, and figure out, okay, what's happening here with me because that yeah. area gets skipped over so much. So I, I just want to say that this is one of those spots where I feel like pelvic health and learning about pelvic health or anything like you saying, learning about the spine it can be scary for yoga teachers because they think that they have to like know everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but if we know enough to, to really understand how the body works and how humans work and the nervous system and all of the other complex things, then we can share that with our yoga students and they have that information. Then they can, you know, then they can go to any yoga class and mm -hmm. change a pose and do something different or, 
Um, yeah, exactly. And, and I do think that we forget sometimes that if you're calling yourself a teacher, then your job is to educate. And that doesn't always mean simply giving someone instructions of how to move the body in a pose, but it could be taking a moment to give like a little side, you know, it doesn't have to be like a work, it could workshop a pose. Or you could just give like a little tidbit of detailed information, background information in the middle of something else. You know what I'm saying? Like you can add yeah. in a lot of information in a yoga class that's beyond just move your body like this. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I get really fascinated and I geek out about science stuff. So the bladder fascinates me. Like when we get a mm -hmm. draft of cold air on the back of our calf muscle, there's actually a nerve there that, mm. that communicates with the bladder. And that's why sometimes we'll get a draft of cold air and think, oh, I think I have to pee. And, mm. and I think it's fascinating because sometimes that might happen when we get home from a long car ride and we go to put the keys in the door we're like, oh my gosh, I have to go pee right now. Like those are, those mm. are different things in the body. And when we understand why it's happening, because the answer is not just to kegel and strengthen your pelvic floor, just so you know, uh, when we understand that, then it can make a huge difference. Yeah. Let's talk about that because I know you have kind of a, a thing about that, this focus on in, that we always talk about engaging um, yes. and engage the core, engage the pelvic floor. And I know that's been a frustration for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so I would just ask for anyone who is cueing that, if you do say to your yoga classes, engage your pelvic floor or engage your core, what are you hoping? First of all, like, what is your intention of saying that? I hear, I hear it lots in the yoga worlds, Pilates, other movement classes, <sighs> Well, um, actually, I think it goes back to my comment about spinal flexion. I just be honest. I, I, I think the way the only reason I would bring it up in a class is if I had students who have back issues. And I think that the idea is, and, and it's not true either. There's this kind of belief that we have that if you have a back problem that you just need to strengthen your abdominal muscles. And <laughs> you know, that, I mean, for some people that might actually help, but for many people, that's not the answer. There might be other things they need to do. For some people though, that's true. So yeah. it's become like a general, just like a lot of things in yoga that we say, they've become generalized, you know? Yeah. And so then what do you think? Let's, let's just take like a student who's maybe been coming to class for about a month. So they're not brand new to yoga and the teacher says to them, engage your core. What do you think that student is doing in that moment? I mean, I think they're tightening all the muscles they can think of <laughs> in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of their body and their abdomen. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a lot of, a lot of tightening going on. Engage the pelvic floor. The most common thing that I see is like people squeeze their butt. Right. And and okay, so we know a couple of things. We know one that the pelvic floor in general, holds a lot of tension when we're stressed. Now we know, mm -hmm. uh, especially now we've just lived through a pandemic, you know, life is busy and stressful. The majority of people are probably, I'm going to take an educated guess, like walking around with more often than not a pelvic floor that is holding tension. I can feel this in myself. If I'm mm -hmm. like standing, doing the dishes or something, I'm like, oh, look at me. Mm -hmm. engaging my pelvic floor when I'm just, you know, maybe thinking of something stressful. We've done scientific studies that show that the pelvic floor is the 
first thing to engage. So they did a series mm-hmm. where they, a series of tests where they uh, put electrodes on people's muscles and showed them graphic, like stressful images. And the pelvic floor was the first one to fire and engage. And so, yeah, it's important that the pelvic floor is able to engage and that it's strong, but it's also so important that it uh, lengthens and relaxes that that's how it works at its best. And so if we knew, okay, let's say over half of our class is already holding a pelvic floor that's holding a lot of tension. Mm. Why would we cue more of that? Like, that'd be like if your shoulders were holding tons of tension, then you're like, all right, let's everyone tighten your shoulders and hold your shoulders. Uh, We've gotten things mixed up. We think that a weak pelvic floor is one that is um, needs to be like holding tension all the time, but that's not how muscles work. So I think that's one thing. Also, 98% of low back pain is connected in some way to pelvic floor tension. So we don't know which came first, pelvic floor tension or low back pain. And so we can really aggravate things when we start just, and the cool thing is we can engage the core without saying those words. If you stand and you just slowly tip forward without moving your feet and tip back, and maybe you want to hold on to something to do it, that's fine. Your quote unquote core, which I want to talk about that in a moment, (laughs) (laughs) will engage like it will engage. So, so you as someone who might be directing movement in a yoga class and breath, you are doing all kinds of things with the core. You don't have to say, engage your core, engage your pelvic floor. Uh, and we, I think we need to take those cues out until we really understand it. And we also probably, our student has gone to see a pelvic floor PT to assess, does the pel- is the pelvic floor holding too much tension or is it like, what does it really need? It can be very complicated. It's not our, it's not within our scope of practice, I don't think as a yoga teacher to be, to be, um, giving that as a regular homework. We can, we can talk about awareness of the pelvic floor and some engagement cues, but, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're dipping out of what yoga is and into something else. But uh, that was interesting. I I wasn't the connection you talked about. We connect weakness to not be engaged when it could be relaxed. Like I think, well, I would just say in general, I think we don't have much of a connection to what relaxation feels like. And mm-hmm. we, it feels like weakness or it feels like, um, yeah, like not being engaged in some way. But I, wanna, I wanted to connect it to the breath. I heard you mention the breath a few times and I feel like I know there's a connection between the diaphragm and pelvic floor the diaphragm muscle. And I was just thinking about the comment you made about um, pelvic health and lower back, or did you say lower back pain, lower back issues? Mm -hmm. There was a study done, yeah, saying like 98% of people who had low back pain also had pelvic floor tension. Because I feel like also the diaphragm muscle goes, connects, inserts in the lower back, you know, in the lumbar spine. I think there's a lot of connection there as well between the breath and the lower back um, and the way that we breathe. But I, I wondered about the connection between the breath and pelvic health, if you could talk about that. 
So the diaphragm and the pelvic floor, if you can remember that they're best friends, they love to move together. So they move down together on the inhale and they gently on their own without you needing to do anything, move up together on the exhale. So take something for like, if you want to play around with this, I love to bring something into practice. Do this in bridge pose. So a lot of yoga teachers will cue bridge pose lifting on the inhale. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can put your breath wherever you want to, but try it for a moment to lift on the exhale because the pelvic floor is naturally moving up then on that exhale up towards the head. And it might really change how that feels. So there's all kinds of way that the diaphragm is working. One, it is definitely part of the core. Mm -hmm. I also want to say, Jeevan, I'm so glad that you brought up the diaphragm. I get very excited about this because I bet you've never been to a yoga class where someone is saying to you, Jeevana, engage your diaphragm. It's time to strengthen your diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And it's a dome just like the pelvic floor. So why the heck are we putting so much emphasis on the pelvic floor? Mm-hmm. And we're not on the diaphragm. They they behave in a very similar way, but we've yeah. we um like society puts so much messaging on the pelvic floor. Hmm. There's a whole like you know you you better have a tight pelvic floor. Oh, that's going to be better for your partner. Like sexually, this is going to be more pleasurable for everyone. Well, guess what? It 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 might not be. It might be very painful if our pelvic floor is holding too much tension. So mm. we have some pretty warped ideas about it. And I hope that I hope that we get away from that. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. I, I do think there's a lack of understanding of the diaphragm, but I'd say the same about the pelvic floor. It seems like, um, you know, even when I train teachers, I, I, I like to teach about the, the way the diaphragm works when we're breathing. Cause I, I really don't think people know. I, I just think, I think we need more clear, um, training for yoga teachers on anatomy and it's, it's complex, you know, it's, it's a lot, but I feel like it would just make us all better yoga teachers. Yes, um, for sure. I like to cue rib cage breath instead mm-hmm. of, um, three part breath or mm-hmm. belly breathing. And I, I did a podcast on that. I'm happy to share it because it's one of those moments where I used to cue belly breathing. That's what I learned. And then it was like, oh, I need to throw this all out the window here for a minute. Unlearn a lot of things and then relearn it. Yeah. I mean, I just try to, I try to explain how a diaphragm moves just so that you can understand where it's moving. And yeah, why would the rib cage be moving? Why would the abdomen be moving or not? Yeah. I think that's important to understand. Um, Anyway, this has all been very helpful. Is there anything else you wanted to share about pelvic health and yoga? I don't know if we've covered enough here. I mean, I touched on scope of practice. I think this is really important. I struggled with this at first when I started to specialize. You know, and I I turned to the eight limbs. That's what I use as my scope of practice. That's my scope of practice. And I learned from working with PTs that I could really be part of that healthcare team. Hmm. And then I know where my scope of practice is. And I know when I'm referring someone to pelvic health PT, which is like all the time, even in conversation, just with friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would say 
make sure you connect with, if you decide, okay, I want to focus more on pelvic health and I want to learn more, find the experts in your area or find the experts online that you can refer people to. Like uh, you had mentioned trauma. Anytime I'm working with someone and they have and they're dealing with trauma, I know the psychotherapist in my area who specializes in trauma. That's who I'm going to refer to. So, yeah, I think. And continue to learn, like follow your curiosity there. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe you're like really into learning all about how the feet work or um, that's 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 what's driven me to do this. I I. Yeah. I could endlessly talk to people about their pelvis. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I love what you said about working on a team. I mean, a scope of practice is a really great topic, I think, for yoga teachers to reflect on, to understand what our scope is. And, and it's a little confusing, I think, depending on your particular training. Um, but I love that, you know, once you have a passion and you've done additional study in an area, it does slightly expand your scope of practice. Generally what it does, it makes you realize how little, you know, Yes. (laughs) and then you realize that you, and hopefully connects you to other professionals in the area and you can refer to them. And I think that's the key about scope of practice is not just knowing your own limitations, but also being able to refer people out. And so I love that comment for sure. And the last question I would like leave Mm -hmm. you with and leave your listeners with is, you know, what the heck is the core anyway? Because that's one thing that when you just said, Mm. like, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. I used to be like, the core is the diaphragm and the pelvic floor and the multifidus and the transversus abdominis. And that's the core four. Mm -hmm. Well, wait a second. What about the psoas? What about, what about the glutes? What about, (laughs) and so keep questioning the things that you read online or learn when it has to do with the core or the pelvis or the body in any way. Um, then it's going to be uncomfortable. It's just like, (laughs) and I think continue to get training. I mean, I was, uh, I interviewed Robin Rothenberg, um, a few months ago about yoga and COVID for this podcast and people can go back and listen to that episode if they're interested. But, um, she had a really interesting focus in her work, which is that, um, regarding the breath. I mean, she's really, she's really focused on, on how we breathe and how that, how yoga can support our breath. And that's where she, you know, that's how she connects with COVID supporting mm-hmm. people with their breathing. But she says that we we're too focused on more is better. You know, that generally yes. yoga and yoga has focused on that in, in so many ways, right? Like more, more advanced poses, more calisthenic poses or gymnastic poses is better. That more yeah. is advanced when actually less is more. And I always say that, like for me, I always say more subtle is more advanced in yoga. And so I loved her focus on subtlety in the breath and that less is more. And that in, with pranayama in particular, we're not trying to make the breath bigger. We're actually trying to get quieter. And I just wonder about that connection with pelvic health too. It seems like you, you're going in the same direction about this relaxed movement, subtle, subtle awareness. Is that true? Yeah, that is. Now you're describing my class. So someone else might teach yoga for pelvic health in a different way. I, I feel like my class is definitely... We spend time really moving in small ways, um, really noticing, really getting curious, mm. like, oh, this is interesting on like this side of things. And what about this side? Or how is this feeling? And it, it is really subtle. And I do think 
less can be more for sure. You know, it's interesting being at the conference in Toronto that you're doing the accessible yoga conference, Shelly Prosco is teaching and she Mm -hmm. did a movement. It was all about pain science and yoga. And that definitely also ties into pelvic health. And anyway, uh, and Shelly's a pelvic health expert that I often turn to. She led us through a practice that was like cat cow and breath in various ways. And it was you know, you might think, well, I've done cat cow, seated cat cow. Yeah, let's whatever. I've done this. But she did it in such a mindful, subtle way that it it allowed everyone in that room to really drop in. And mm-hmm. you could tell like I that's that was my experience of it for sure. And I think yeah. you're right. Sometimes we think, oh, more is better. But no, a whole day full of yoga is not. <laughs> <laughs> like a vinyasa flow all day class is probably not not uh, better than you know five minutes of being really mindful and dropping in mm. so yeah yeah i love that i love that message and i just I, I appreciate you and your work thanks for sharing with us and with me for being here today I, you're so welcome thank you for for your podcast the work that you do um also just really for for meeting people where they're at like i feel you just have this gift of of bringing comfort and like everyone's welcome and i i realize that's what accessible yoga is mm. but also it's just part of your personality and the way you mm. the way you hold community so thank you Wow. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Anyway, thanks, Shannon. Thank you for all of that. Thanks for being here. And also we'll put some links for your, um, for, so that people can find you in the show notes, but do you have anything in particular? I mean, people can, well, of course, listen to your podcast. They can join your Facebook group. They can join pelvic health professionals, right? Is there anything else they could do? With you? Um, if you want, and you can tell me if you want to do this, I can give you a special code just for your listeners so that they can get a month free and they can check sure. it out and they can get access to all of all of the stuff in there. So I'll get that code to you. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great. I'll, we'll put that in the show notes. So there'll be a code. Uh, is that for pelvic health professionals? pelvic health professionals that's what you're talking about yeah yeah yeah. and they can jump in there and learn from like we have all of the replays in there from all of our pelvic health expert calls and there's a lot in there and they can they can hang out and check it out for the full month awesome okay thank you that's great that's a great gift for our our community and so has this this whole talk has been a gift so i appreciate that thanks for for all you've shared um and for all that you do thanks for being here Thank you, Jivana. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org, to find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an Accessible Yoga Ambassador and support the work that we are doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guest you'd like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.